the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You were made to think big, too big, big. But tomorrow can be bigger. Yeah. Just grow, let the world overflow, yeah. Live a life bigger than yourself. You're created for greatness. Live a life bigger than yourself. Hello, this is the Live Big Broadcast. Today we will hear a classic message from Bishop Greer. We believe this word will bless you, so let's get into this classic teaching. God wants to get us back to simple faith. He wants to minister to his flock uh, and do it in a way that directly addresses vital needs, needs that are sometimes besetting us on every side. So, Today we're going to be in a familiar passage of scripture. Uh, hopefully it's one that you're familiar with. And I believe God's going to do some teaching. But let me caution you. Uh, I'm not here to entertain you today. My prayer is that you leave here with faith. You leave here believing that which was said. Now, God is gracious. And sometimes what he says is entertaining and it's enjoyable. I don't want to torture you as you stand here. But the bottom line is never, never make the... Uh, uh, you know, let's not get the cart before the horse. Amen. Let's make sure we leave here believing and expecting differently than when we first came in. OK, John chapter six and verse one, verse one. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is often in transition. He's moving from one side of the lake to the other. And uh, that helps us uh, uh, him identify with us. We're often in transition, moving from one place yonder and uh, he's done the same, and he knows exactly where we are. In verse 2, in a great crowd of people followed him. Why? Because they loved him? No. Uh, because they believed him? No. Because their truth was setting him free? No. But because they saw the miraculous sign he had performed on the sick. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, has become very, very popular. Um, back then, you know, just like we have pop stars their stars were rabbis. You know, it was a religious nation. So, uh, you know, he was the, uh, uh, one of the, 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 the pop stars of his time. And the point is, people are just following Jesus because of the spectacular. They're following him because of what they're getting from him. And uh, because of this, Jesus is taking special pains, but also it's his priority, uh, to minister to his disciples. In this, uh, in this particular passage of scripture, we find that his intention was originally to go up the mountain to primarily minister to his disciples. And, you know, the greatest teaching does not come to the crowds. The crowds heard many of his teachings, but the Bible said in private, Jesus would explain to his disciples. And my prayer is that you're not just part of the religious crowd. You are part of God's core group. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. After you leave here, the Holy Ghost is explaining why was said, what was said. You hear what I'm saying? That your conversation with him continues even beyond the setting of, of this Sunday service. Amen. 
So Jesus, uh, uh, we're going to, let's move to three. Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with who? His disciples, doing what he typically does, minister to his disciples. And then in verse four, he adds in a little matter of fact information, the Jewish Passover feast was near. So we see that his intention was to minister to his disciples, his special called out group. But Jesus very much lived in the moment. Jesus very much loved ministering to his disciples. Often, you know, we're so excited about the crowd or, or the bigger things that we, we gloss over the smaller things. And, and if, if he was a minister like many ministers today, he would have been just talking to the crowd. Yeah, I mean, the disciples with one eye looking up, hoping the crowd would come. But he was focused on the disciples. If, if you take a look at the text, he's not really even aware that the crowd's coming in his direction. But it seems that eventually the noise of it all causes Christ to have to lift his eyes. So he has to disengage for a moment in his ministry to his core group and he begins to address the the crowd that's coming his way. But as you look more closely at the passages we're going to read today, Jesus does not stop actually ministering to his disciples. Actually, this whole event is circled around or or focused upon continuing uh, his ministry to these men. So you have to look at what's about to take place as a disciple and you'll see some things. So verse five, when Jesus looked up, he, he, he leaves his focus for a moment and he sees a great crowd coming toward him. He asks Philip a question. Now, in the Bible, when God asks questions, you're usually in trouble or God's trying to locate you. Remember when God said, Adam, where art thou? You think God didn't know where he was? He knew where he was. But he wanted Adam to realize where he was. Amen. And sometimes God asks us questions uh, so we can locate where we are. So when we answer, we, 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 we reveal something about our, our heart that would not have been revealed without that answer. So he, he, he asks a, a question to Philip. He says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Again, whenever God asks you a question, he's up to something. So you need to get your antenna up and pay attention. The Bible says in verse six, what I've already said, he asked this only to what? Test him. Sometimes God will get you in situations in life where, where life calls you to ask certain questions. And, and that's God's way of, 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 of trying to bring out of you what's in you. Let, let me further clarify that. Cowboys, you know, when you watch a cowboy movie, a cowboy would get a coin, particularly a gold looking coin, and he would bite it in his mouth to determine whether or not it's real. And it was his test of the coin. And sometimes God lets life bite. Do you hear what I'm saying? To, to, to listen to our answer and how we respond really uh, communicates where we are. You see, in this setting where everyone around you is a worshiper, everyone's a believer, it's easy to, to worship. But when life bites, what do you say? Do you know what I'm saying? What, what, what's your answer to life's questions when no one's around you and you're all by your lonesome, okay? So, so here we are, and Jesus looks now. The crowd has come, but Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, he, he, he finds a way to continue his ministry to his disciples in spite of the crowd here. It says he, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. God has already thought through the solution to your problem even before you had it. But God let the problem come to bite you so you could see what's in your heart. But God knows what's in your heart. Are you tracking with me? So he already knew the answer. He already knew what he was going to do. But the question was not what he would do, but it's what his disciples would do. 
We had, what would Jesus do? God's like, I know what I would do. The question is, what you going to do? You hear what I'm saying? That's the real. That, that's the million dollar question presented to us today. Well, Philip answered him. And Philip, you know, he's a good boy. And he's like me. And he's like many of us here. Jesus posed the question, so he immediately begins to take inventory. And he went over to Judas and said, man, you've been keeping the books and the records. How much we got? So Judas lets him know, man, we, we have about eight, eight, eight months wages. That's all we have in the treasury. So Philip comes back with the reply. And he said, eight months wages, Lord, would not buy enough bread for each one to have just one bite. You see, Philip's first example locates him. Philip, you see, how would you say uh, uh, Philip has his mind on his money and, and his money on, on his mind, if you will. Philip, Philip's solution was, was what he had. And, you know, part of being a leader is dealing with problems. Kids are going to have problems. So God said, I don't want them leaderless. I'm going to give them parents. So whenever you're a leader, you're going to face problems. So, so, so Jesus is trying to train them to be leaders. So he presents them with a problem because one day he's not going to be standing right there and he wants to see how, how they're going to respond. So he responds by looking at what he has versus looking at what God might have in mind. Are you, are you tracking with me? Now, there are two different types of disciples here. We have Philip. And then we have Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And uh, Simon and Peter both, they, they pro- they're from the same daddy. And uh, they, they're both action-oriented guys. And leaderships ha- leaders have a bias toward action and doing. So instead of him just kind of philosophizing or, or thinking the thing through, he, he got to get his hands on something. So he overhears the question. And uh, he immediately uh, spots a boy with a few provisions, grabs him by the nap of the neck, brings him to Jesus. Because, again, Andrew got to do something. He brings him to, to Jesus. Here's a boy. So, Jesus, you presented a problem. I've gone right into action. And by the way, Philip does the right thing because uh, God uses what Philip does. But, but Philip's uh, answer is not complete here. It says here that. Uh, another of his disciples, Andrew Simon, brother spoke up. He said, here's a boy, there we go, with five small what? Barley loaves. Barley was food for the poor. And two small fish. That's enough for a little boy's lunch. But then he says, okay, he's, he's a man of action, but he's not thinking the way Christ wants his leaders to think. He said, but how far will they go amongst so many? All the disciples could see was the impossibility of it all. All Christ could see was the possibility of it all. Are you hearing me? All they could see is how little they had. But Jesus understood that little becomes much if you get your little in the right hands. The problem is not always that we have so little. The problem is the little is in the wrong hands. Are you hearing me? So what Jesus does, he's, he, he's having a leadership class and he's teaching these guys and he's posed the questions to the two leaders. The leaders have come up with their responses. And then Jesus, now he stands up. He said, now class is in session. He says, bring them here to who? Me. The issue is not what you got. It's whose hands it's in. You got five loaves, two fish. The promise in that little boy's hands. Get it into my hands. 
I will make little much. I made the earth from nothing. I am a multiplier. Do you hear what I'm saying? By nature, I enlarge things. The increase of my government shall have no end. The first command of man would be fruitful and what? Multiply. Why? Because God had multiplication in his heart when he created man. You hearing me? So God said, listen, leaders, when you have a problem, the first thing you need to do, don't deny the problem. Don't pretend it's not there, but bring it to me. Get the situation into my hands. Are you hearing me? He said, bring them here to me, he said. He said, listen, guys, in fact, he said, listen, the, the inadequacy of your resources is a setup. I'm going to use it all to magnify my power. And sometimes in life, God purposely sets you up. He said, listen, when you're weak, I'm strong. I'm going to set you up where you absolutely cannot so that I can be glorified and honored. Everyone walking away from that situation going, no, it wasn't you, but it was me. Are you hearing me? That's part of leadership, part of parenthood. You hear what I'm saying? Making a way out of what? No way. Then Jesus He's revealing the nature of God. He's, he's, he's the word, he's the word taking flesh. He's God taking flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So God's a God of order. So he sees the man, the man with question marks and perplexity. And the first thing he does is he says, bring it to me and begin to organize. And when you face a problem, the first thing you need to do is bring it to God that's right, that's right. and begin to organize. Are you hearing me? The Bible said that he's a God of decency and order. He says, let everything be done in a fitting and orderly manner. God will take a mess, chaos, and out of it came planet Earth. Darkness, you know, upon the face of the water, spirits hovered upon the dark. Then God said, let there be what? Light. God causes order out of what? Chaos. That's God's way. So if you want to walk with God, you have a problem. But bring your problem to the master. But the second thing is let God begin to order your way. You know, the reason many of us don't receive uh, miracles is we we say we bring our our problems to God, but we're not committed. We're out of order. We're not committed to God's order. God says, sit it there, put it there. We're like, no, no, bless me anyway. But God said, not until you submit, get under my authority, sit under my direction. Are you going to receive what I have for you? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. It do- I tried to t- I've tried. I have tried to change God. I tried to say, Lord, just bless me because I'm me. And God's like, son, you bring that problem to me. You get yourself in order, and I will bless you. Again, I've tried every other way, but uh, I found that I need to just go God's way, and it works every time. He says, bring them to me, he says. So, again, He takes the matter in his hands. He's standing up probably by now. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. He was concerned about the people. But again, you see the dialogue here uh, is mainly between him and his disciples. Taking the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven. Now, Jewish people did not look up to heaven when they prayed. So when Jesus looked up to heaven, uh, everyone was paying attention to his manner. You know, in other words, we pray like this or we may bow our heads. But if suddenly, you know, I, I'm standing here and, and my face is, you know, extended toward heaven and you've never seen anyone do that before, maybe just once or twice in your life, you'd pay careful attention. Why is Jesus doing this? He's trying to let folk know the source. 
Let him know, you know, from where, whence his help comes. So you, you get it in Christ's hands, you get under order, but you need to look to the hills from whence cometh your help. Get your expectation on God, not necessarily just what's in your hand. Amen. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave what? He gave what? This is where most of us break down. When we don't have enough, we begin to point the finger. We begin to get angry. We begin to get bitter. The Bible said, although he did not have enough, Jesus was standing. He didn't have enough to feed the crowds. Matter of fact, if it didn't work out, he's going to look like a fool. But instead of whining and complaining, he said, Lord, I thank you for what I do have. I may not have a kitchen. We may not have a bread factory. But I do have a little boy that's faithful enough to share his lunch. And Lord, I am grateful for what I do have. How many of you, when you don't have enough, Get angry, get bitter, get stiff. But one of the keys to having God multiply in the midst of a crisis situation is maintaining the right attitude. We annually as a nation, we have Thanksgiving. And once a year, we, we, we thank God, at least as a nation, we're supposed to thank God for all his blessings. But I have found, usually on Thanksgiving, I usually complain more about my relatives, how long they're going to stay. And, and, and all the rest of the stuff. We don't truly have Thanksgiving as we ought, but we're working on it. Amen? We're working on it. But I think that if we really want to change some of our families, some of our situations, we need to, to at least once a week have a day of thanks. Not talking about what we don't have. Not talking about what didn't happen. Not talking about this. But, but Lord, you know, I, I may not have that car, but thank you. I have two good feet. You hear what I'm saying? Lord, I, I want to thank you. I'm not in my mansion now, but Lord, I want to thank you that I did pay my rent last month. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In the midst of not having enough, he was thankful. You know, every now and then we've done it once or twice and we forget and uh, we, we, we need to be better stewards. Every now and then I look at David and I say, what do you what do you like about your brother? And he'll pause. What type of question is that? This is often they're fussing and, and getting on each other's nerves. Then I'll answer. Then I'll ask Derek the same question. Before long, that environment of fuss turns into an environment of love and sweetness. When you begin to celebrate what you do have. Now, he may steal some of my toys. He, he may try to hog the TV. But he doesn't beat me. Okay. He, he is, at least I got a brother to be around. Do you hear what I'm saying? And when I get their, when they get their folks on what they do have, the environment changes. Every now and then, you know, in marriage, if you've been married more than a year, you get to places where you start thinking about what you don't have, what your neighbor has, and everybody else has, but you, what you don't have in your particular relationship. But I've learned, and I don't do this enough either. Actually, I can't say I learned because I don't do it enough. But I need to set aside some Fridays and some Saturday nights for us to have Thanksgiving. Honey, I want to thank you for staying with me for 15 years. You see, if we would do this enough, we won't have to worry about, you know, we need to get people in from the outside. We will have a population explosion in this place because after the Thanksgiving between husband and wife, there will be a ceremony. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we will have 60 and 70 year olds having children and uh, doing things they couldn't. Do. 
If you get back, like I said, I'm too relaxed today. If you would get back to giving thanks. It's so easy to talk about what you're not, honey. So easy for her to point out what I'm not. But when you don't have enough, you need to be grateful for that which you do have. Do you see how he was teaching these leaders? Say, okay, the crowd is interrupting, but not really. I'm going to work this for the good. You take the little you have and be thankful for even that, for what you do have. The Bible says, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then the Bible says here, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. The point he's making here is, guys, if you submit to my process, I will make you the agents of change. The agents of blessing here was not Jesus himself. This is, uh, I think, a pointer to what would happen after he died and was resurrected. Jesus is not walking around anymore uh, blessing people literally in a physical body. He says, listen, guys, if you bring the problem to me, if, if, if you give me thanks in the midst of the situation, are you hearing me? If, if you allow me to bless it. The Bible also says, let me back up for a moment. It says also that he broke the loaves. And just like my wife shared with you, you know, she had everything done. And then suddenly out of nowhere, chaos comes. We even had a leak on Friday. I mean, all types of things tried to just break out and, and bust loose in our house, in our life. But the reality is, I have found when I think everything is going just, I think my walk with God is just, everything is just going just right. And, you know, often I'll not admit it, uh, you know, uh, really out louder in my mind because I don't want pride to say, but in my heart, I'm really, man, I got this thing. I got this thing. And I'm thinking that I got it. But I found that usually right before God's about to serve me and help somebody through me in the great, he breaks me one more time again. And it's a pattern for the disciples to understand. It's a breaking before the serving. And every now and then he got to bring me to that place of the broken spirit. Did I remember that without him, I'm nothing. I do remember where my help really comes from. That as smart as I think I am, you know, I don't even come close. I can't. He got to give me a problem I can't solve just to remind me. So, you know, every now and then he, he got to allow some things to break you. But when I say break you, I mean break you in the right way. The devil's trying to break you to keep you broken down. But God will break you to heal you. You hear what I'm saying? To restore you. It says he gave them to the disciples and the disciple gave them to his people. He made his disciples the agent of blessing. Now, I want God to bless me, but that's selfish if I stop there. I want God to bless me so I can bless. I want God to bless me so much that I can be an agent, a, a conduit, a reservoir, a pipe, if you will, of blessing to others. So every time the disciples went to Jesus, they'd get more bread and bring it to the people. Many times we get the bread and we just eat it. But if we would seek first the kingdom, make God's priority my priority. Make your woman in your life your priority. Even before your needs, you talk about her needs. You hear what I'm saying? Make your man in your life your priority. Make your children in your life your priority. You hear what I'm saying? And if you're single, make God your priority, your church your priority. You make it your priority, God will bless you. Because we're going to find in the end, these men leave with 12 basketfuls of broken bread. 
They leave with more they, than they came with. But you see, it, it didn't start that way. They first had nothing. They had a problem, brought it to Jesus. Then they got involved in solving the problem. Then they found out that their basket would be full. You see, they, they didn't even hear a promise, you know, do this and I'll fill your basket. There was no such promise. All they knew is they needed to serve. And you will find in your serving, there will be deliverance. The seed to your victory is you getting busy trying to help someone else with a problem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Even more than yourself. You know, you got to get yourself off your mind. When I start thinking about myself, my face drops. I mean, you know, I'm not a bad looking guy, but I tell you, if I look in the mirror more than a, a minute or two, it's like, dang. Really? It's self-destructive. I'm not created to look at myself. I can look at my wife for hours. When it comes to me, I, I get ugly. I don't say it don't even take a minute, really. Just, you know, give me a few too many seconds. I'm like, ugh, you know. But 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 uh, God wants me to live a life where I'm not self-conscious. Well, I could be thinking about God, God thinking about me. You hear what I'm saying? I'm so busy with God's work, He's taking care of, uh, of my personal stuff that I'm not, I'm not even thinking about my stuff. And that, that's a high place to be in God. That's the way, by the way, Adam and Eve were. They didn't even think about themselves. They didn't even notice they were naked. They didn't even notice until they sinned. And the anointing of God fell. And they were, oh my gosh, I'm naked. They didn't have themselves on their mind. You hear? And, and you know, God wants to restore uh, Eden to many of our lives. He wants to get ourselves and our situations off of our minds. This has been Live Big with Derek Greer, the radio broadcast ministry of Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia. Join us next time as we continue this teaching. It is our sincere prayer that you are blessed and empowered to live a life bigger than yourself today. If you want to know more about becoming a Christian or want to rededicate your life to Christ, Bishop Greer wants to walk you through a step-by-step guide. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Visit gracechurchva.org salvation to find out more. We invite you to worship with us online each Sunday on our YouTube channel at Grace Church VA TV. And while you're there, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell to get all of our latest content. That's all for today. Until next time, live big. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.